0: Hello to everyone and welcome to our Pitside Expert podcast once again, and we're getting closer and closer, drawing nearer to the restart of live international cricket, and we're very pleased for that. And when I say we, my colleagues dotted around the world in Europe, in England, Freddie Wild is here with me, the baby of the team, and down under in Western Australia, Tom Moody is here as well. Tom, good evening to you. Yes, uh, good evening and uh, certainly hi to Freddie
1: in, in England. Um, all well here, thank you. And certainly looking forward to our discussion today. It's it's one that um, around fielding, a lot of people uh, are unsure on its real value. Uh, there's nothing better than seeing uh, a great fielder. Uh, they're entertaining as it is. But, you know, how much influence do they have in the contest, whether it be a 20-over game, a 50-over game, or a test match?
0: Freddie, I'm looking forward to some good news. Give me some good news coming out of the UK.
1: Yeah, well, it, it
2: is good news. As you said, cricket is closer and closer to returning. England are naming a, a their 55-man squad that they named earlier in the summer has now shrunk to 30. Uh, the West Indies have been playing some inter-squad games, and England are going to be playing one soon um so yeah that july 8th first test match is is getting ever nearer um and i imagine the whole the whole uh, eyes of the cricket world will be on england when that does return
0: all right as tom alluded to uh for our listeners once again we're talking fielding today and i think it will be an interesting discussion um because i'm old enough to remember freddie may not be old enough to remember he's only (laughs) just come onto the scene of the planet uh but tom would know (laughs) for sure the days of Sir so Vivian Richards at his prime in, in the mid to late 70s, Clive Lloyd. And then we jumped forward um, a decade and a half, perhaps a little bit more, to John T. Rhodes, to Herschel Gibbs, to Ricky Ponting, et cetera, et cetera. Has feeling generally, Tom, I want to kick this off with you, improved in the last 15 years or has it stagnated? That's a question our listeners would definitely like to to get into.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think overall, it without a doubt, it has improved. But what I'll say uh, first is I don't think the best fielders of yesteryear are any better than the best fielders today. So, for instance, if we're looking at some of the best fielders that are out there now, Jadeja from India, Shadab Khan from Pakistan, David Warner from Australia, Kiran Pollard from, from the West Indies, you got, you know Chris Jordan uh, from England. Those type of fielders, they're all outstanding top-shelf fielders, but I don't think they're any better than the ones you just mentioned in Jonty Rhodes, Ricky Ponting, Viv Richards, Paul Collingwood from England. I think the very, very best fielders are pretty much the same. I think what has changed is the floor, as in the group, the whole team, the whole squad have lifted their standards. So I think the, the good fielder, the average fielder and the poor fielder have all improved considerably. So therefore, the whole standard collectively has risen quite dramatically. And I suppose having first-hand experience in the IPL, uh, when that first started, Uh, 12, 13 years ago, the, the average fielder and the poor fielder were very, very average and poor. Where today you have a squad of players of 22 to 24, you find it hard to find a poor fielder. You've got a few average fielders, but you don't generally have a poor fielder, and I think it's mainly because players are now aware of their responsibility and and the emphasis on it being an important part of the game. And I think the other important aspect is I think the players these days are fitter, they're stronger and more athletic. So they're all critical components to being a good fielder.
0: There's so much to to unpack there because when we talk about poor fielders, think back to... And I beg the forgiveness of the names that I'm going to mention, the Phil Tufnell's, the Devon Malcolms, the Courtney Walshes of this world who were liabilities in the field. You've got very few of that level you're saying. Freddie, before we, we, we dive into that in more detail, have you been able as a top class analytics uh, person to, to see how the data impacts either form of the game?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously one of the challenges associated with how much how much is fielding worth as moods posed at the top of the show is that analyzing fielding has been difficult historically. We've always been able to record data on catches and stumpings um, and to a lesser degree runouts, but exactly how difficult those um, events are and how much effect they have on the scorecard. Um, it, it is something that's beginning to become more commonplace. And at CrickViz, we have a, a, set of, a, a set of analysts, who a team of analysts in South Africa, in fact, who sit down and they watch every game of international cricket and every game of major domestic T20, and they log every single touch of the ball, and they record how difficult each fielding event is um, and how many runs it's, it's worth. That's both for catches and for stops. And, and we're trying to place a value on fielding. Um, but as we'll explore today... And we'll touch on some of those numbers. There are elements of fielding um, that are difficult to record. And there's always going to be a, be a degree of subjectivity involved in that, you know, deciding how difficult chance chances might differ. You know, myself might differ to, to moods and moods might differ to, to you, Bish. So there's always a degree of subjectivity and that makes it difficult. But um, as an industry, we are improving in, in measuring fielding and hopefully contributing to the debate that we'll, we'll have today around um. How much fielding is worth? And you're right; it, it does differ in in different formats.
0: <clears throat> I I, I want to ask Moes again because we had a number of, and I'm bringing a West Indian perspective from my own watching experience and interaction. There were a number of very good athletes. Uh, we call Sylvian so Richards. Uh, Clive Lloyd before my time and then coming through we had guys like Gus Logie who was uh, phenomenal across the ground someone like a Roger Harper who could field anywhere with great electricity Uh, some of our listeners may be too young to to even have caught those guys but they were really exceptional Tom, how much of fielding now and, and, and from your coaching and playing experience how much of it is that what we call natural athleticism to an extent versus working on that um, foundation of athleticism and making it even better? Well, I think,
1: a uh, uh, I suppose, a, a, a player that's not as athletic and naturally as athletic will never be a top-class fielder. They'll be... Uh, I'll preface in saying that they may become that in test cricket, because they may become a brilliant slip fielder. Therefore, your movement is limited. You've just got a great pair of hands. You've got a great technique. So first, second, third slip, or a gully fielder. Generally a gully fielder has to be quite athletic, actually. And Roger Harper was just unbelievable in the gully. But you may... So Mark Taylor, you are seeing. Mark Taylor is a very good example. Not an athlete in the outfield, but I tell you, didn't miss too many catches. Graham Smith in the slips from South Africa, another very good catcher. Not a, you know, not electric over you wouldn't be putting Graham Smith in the covers or, or Tubby Taylor in the covers. So, you know, I think you, you you can become a valuable player in the field, but you'll never become a jaunty Rhodes or a Ricky Ponting in the field. I think that's for another lifetime. But you know you can contribute to the group by being better and what what I'd consider safe, and that's very important because it's it's a lock. You can lock that player in in certain fielding positions depending on the format that you play. Well, I think Muj, you just t- touched on an important point there um, with regards to
2: catching. Um, and something just we need to sort of maybe distinguish quite early is, is the difference value of fielding in test cricket or red ball cricket compared to white ball cricket. And for me, at least, and I think the numbers largely back this up in terms of which events have most impact on the scorecard in red ball cricket, fielding really boils down to, to catching um you know ground fielding is you know you're never going to say no to a good ground fielder having guys who can stop the ball and be quick to the ball and track back and and and, uh, and you know occasionally affect a run out is obviously important but it happens a lot less in the test game than than just catching particularly slip catching um that that is the area of the game that is most important with regards to shielding in red ball cricket whereas in white ball cricket um, there's a lot more emphasis on on ground fielding, on being quick around the boundary rope, on runouts, even on backing up and, and sort of just being more generally alert. And as I said, athletic, I think um, I, I'd probably continue your point, Moods, and say I think athleticism is more important to the white ball fielder than it is to the red ball fielder. And that's probably because catching is more important to the red ball fielder mm-hmm. than anything else. Uh, and I think you can learn to be a pretty good catcher without necessarily being a particularly good athlete, and you named a couple of them there. Um, So I think that's a really important distinction to make quite early
0: on. I want to clear this up because some of our listeners tuned in would probably want more clarification on, on the terminology used there in that discussion. So you're not saying that ground feeling is not important. It just has more numeric value in the shorter the format gets. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because I feel that you can judge the temperature, sometimes the character and the togetherness of a team, even in a test match, by their feeling. You're hunting as a pack and mood You would notice very well when Ricky and Andrew Simons and and those guys uh, were hunting even in white, white clothing in a test match things dry up and you can create something out of nothing, even if it's the odd run out in a test match. You don't get selected per se for feeling necessarily in a test match unless maybe you're a jaunty road and you force the door open. But you can always tell who's in the game by the way they put themselves together in practice, the effort that they give. Um, And it makes me as a bowler feel so much more valued if a guy – can do something special even in a test match. So let's take it to white ball cricket. And Freddie, I want to jump back to you about those numbers and the challenge that you guys are having in making that more of a valuable statistic.
2: Sure, yeah, and, and you know, as I said, we, we have a, a, a set of guys who try and record every event and, and try and prescribe a difficulty to it um and a run value to it and the idea is it's meant to basically grade you against an average fielder so for example if you're uh, I'll, I'll give an example one of the best fielders in test cricket according to our measure is Steve Smith he's worth plus 17 runs a game in the field oh, really? that's a big amount on average um, that's a bigger man. That makes him the best fielder in the world. After that point, we drop down to sort of more around 10, 12 runs for the for the next best fielders. Um, but on average, um, a, a winning team saves 23 runs in the field in Test matches, according to our numbers. Around eight runs in ODIs and around five runs in T20s. So they're the numbers that we have. But I think uh, and and I think that makes it quite clear that it's quite a marginal gain. It's not insignificant. Fielding is not insignificant, but for me and, and from a data perspective, it is always se- a secondary skill or, or in the case of an all rounder, a third skill um, to batting and bowling. And it, and it comes back to that thing that you often hear coaches and, and captains say it's a one percenter, um, but the margin being greater in tests, as uh, I should say, is, is simply a result of the. The margin of victory often being larger so 23 runs obviously in the context of a test game which are often won by 50 60 70 runs and, and more than that um but it it, it it is therefore taken as a percentage it is a small percentage um it's not um I don't think maybe as important as some people think but it is a factor uh, as, as I said it's, it's a one percenter is what coaches and captains often call it
1: I'll, I'll just add to to that Freddie and that's the statistical side of it, but there's the human side of it, which yeah. I look at from a coach's perspective. Uh, yes, you certainly look at, uh, you know, the efficiency of your fielding unit. Uh, and that gives you, as you're talking about those various numbers for for various individuals in your side, and you certainly hope you've got more in the p- plus than in the minus. But there's the human side of it too. And that that is the... The point that Bish brought up just uh, previously, and that is the spirit, the momentum that it creates out in the middle. And if you've got a you've got a fielding unit that that is dynamic, that you know has a lot of energy and enthusiastic, it creates uh, an important uh, vibe out in the middle, which enables the team to stay on top, particularly if it's difficult and you don't want a bowler or a bowling unit looking around the field and everyone is very flat so that body language and that energy is very important i think fielding to me regardless of red ball or white ball cricket is is more attitude than your your skill we're, we're all born with different levels of skill some some people are born you know with unbelievable spe- uh, speed and agility some people a little bit slower than others but that person that's a little bit slower isn't, isn't going to suddenly run the uh, you know the hundred meters in the olympics and win it that's never going to happen so if that's that slower person can bring attitude not so much improve, he can continue to develop his skill, but bring attitude every single time he's out in the field. And if you can collectively bring that attitude and energy, that result is a very powerful result. So if you have, a, you have an instance where you've got a key matchup, you've got a batsman that's 50, 60 runs not out trying to steer his team home. If he's getting easy twos to the outfield and getting back on strike to be able to continue to steer the game home, you're forever losing that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you've got, if you're managing to stop those twos, and a really good example from my recent times in the IPL was was David Warner fielding at deep mid off or deep mid on, and he, he would generally be mid off because more volume of balls would go down to deep mid off. The amount of twos that he stopped. And prevented the in batsman from getting back on strike was enormous, and that was something we would measure. So it would then enable your key bowler, and for Sunrisers Hyderabad, it would be a Rashid Khan or a Bhuvneshwar Kumar to bowl to the number seven, number eight, number nine batsman, depending on you know what the state of the game was, and that then may be a dot ball, two dot balls. The in-batsman can't get back on strike. I'm not measuring the dot balls. I'm measuring the frustration of the batsman that's in not getting back on strike. And he may then, the next over, lose his cool purely because that batsman hasn't got him on strike and he's missed an opportunity to target a couple of boundaries that he was looking to target. He plays a reckless shot against a bowler that may not be as well-suited for him to take on and he loses his wicket. Game over. That's not you. You can't at the moment statistically uh, account for that. But certainly, from a coach's point of view and a team's point of view, we're seeing it unplay. Yeah, completely. I mean, and,
2: and field. You know, uh, collecting fielding data has been a challenge for for a long time mainly because of the I sort of I suppose I split it into two tiers of problem. Tier one is how difficult is that chance, how many runs did he save? And they're the sort of problems that we're beginning to tackle and we're beginning to make progress in tackling. But what you've just talked about there is almost tier two problems. The next level of difficulty in terms of evaluating fielding is that those other effects and, and it's not impossible, I don't think, to quantify the value of keeping a batsman with a negative matchup against on strike against Rashid Khan. We we can measure it. But it's very difficult. And this is what, you know, as an industry, the analytics community will try and seek to do in the coming years, I think, is put a value on those things, because you're right. Um, we're, we're, We're trying our best here to contribute to the debate. And I think the numbers we put forward are valuable, but they're always most valuable when combined with the kind of expertise there where you're sort of thinking, well, actually, you know, there is a little bit more than just the one run save because he's kept that batsman on strike. And you've got to combine all of those things. And I think, you know, where we're at now compared to where we were 10, 15 years ago in, in actually valuing fielding, we have made strides, but we will continue to make strides in mm. doing that. Um, and it's about combining, as all as is always the case with, with data analysis and moods having worked alongside you and know that this is the case. It's, you know, combining numbers with, with you know, uh, I suppose cricket smarts and a knowledge of the game itself to try and sort of produce uh an, a, a, the closest answer you can to, to the truth i guess
0: yeah I, i've built a bulletin board with a number of points that we've made on our podcast and we've had some really good ones structured um one two three four five modes have just put you with that piece of insight up to number one you've jumped up the league table that was so insightful um <laughs> It's fearful how insightful that was. I'm going to be a little bit contradictory, Freddie, and say that having listened to all of this so far, I think we're paying too little attention to... Not that we're not paying attention to feeling in Test match cricket. Maybe we're not valuing it as much. And I'm going to say now that I think feeling and not just catching is very important. Just thinking back now to watching Test match cricket, God, it feels like a lifetime since I've watched a Test match. Um to see an offside with a Rhodes at cover, a Herschel gives at backward point, um, maybe a, another good feeler on the offside at, at mid-off to try to pierce that ring for long sessions. I've played in teams where the standard becomes sloppy during a hard session when a Tom say was settling in with the bat. And I've seen also the impact. If only, (laughs) this Come on, don't underestimate yourself. Settling him
1: in the the pavilion in the dressing room with pads off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's think back to to what Sri Lanka brought in the field, not only in one day cricket, back in the day. We've always talked about previous New Zealand teams as punching above their weight, something they don't like to hear. But they brought an energy. Those one percenters maybe were a little bit more than one percent for a New Zealand team that didn't have the star players where they could maximise. So I'm going to say to our listeners, <clears throat> we probably need to value fielding, not just catching in Test match cricket. And the West Indies will try to prove that on England and Pakistan in the coming weeks. Um, just just, just on that, Bish, before you move on to the next
1: part of our discussion. Yeah. Uh, I'm 100% with you that, that, that Test cricket and the fielding around Test cricket is critical. But to me... Mm-hmm. The critical component, and I think Freddie has articulated this as well, is more the focused on the catching. Mm -hmm. But those experiences that you just touched on around watching Test cricket and it drifting, and you know it it being diabolical, is Mm. attitude. It's not fielding. Mm. That's attitude. So the 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 bullet or the rocket needs to be given to the playing group and the leaders within that playing group for allowing that attitude to slip. Right. In test cricket or in any format, you can control your attitude. I can't, I can't control a team and turn them all into a jaunty roads. But what I can do is encourage and create a culture within a playing group that this is the attitude that we find... And defines us mm. against allowing just because the conditions don't suit us, or it's cold, or because it's no wicket for 120, and we're frustrated. We've had an, you know, we've had a couple of decisions not go our way. Mm. They're out of your control. What you can control is the attitude you bring every single ball in that contest.
0: Right. Okay. So not to belabor this for too much longer, just 30 more seconds, Freddie. I can see you looking up into the sky. And whenever I can see you looking up into the sky, I know that the brain mechanism is working over time. Um, We always had a saying where we played, and I know various other teams have taken up the mantle afterwards. It's flat in Dubai. The slips don't come into play as much as they would maybe at at the Oval or at Perth. and we always used to say when a partnership grew, come guys, we're not taking our eyes off the bowling. So I get your attitude factor. The wicketkeeper was always the, the cheerleader trying to spur everyone on. Let's try to get a run out here. That was one of the things that we tried to emphasize on quite a few. Let's look for a run out. We can get one of these run out. The ball stops swinging. The pitch has gone flat. So we're not focusing we're not taking our eye off catching, but we're also looking for other avenues to get that. And I'm talking about test match cricket. So I understand your attitude, but that attitude would then lend itself into a dynamic piece of feeling which can change the course and the momentum of an innings. And uh, having had that long spill of vitriol, I just want to go to the next topic. There was an interesting scenario this year. I know you two would love this. How much a feeling, Moomis You brought this up in one of our pre-talks during our early podcast where you said feeling sometimes influences a selection at an auction. I don't know if I got that right on. You did not bring it into the podcast. This is for the both of you. Chennai Super Kings was one of the oldest teams in last year's IPL, and they got to the final. So talk to me a little bit about the value of feeling Versus the other components and how that impacts an auction price of a player um, when you're choosing them in the auction.
2: Sure, I mean it's it's a fascinating question, Um, and and you know the example of Chennai, you know, is probably the most extreme example of a side preparing an older group of players um, and maybe compromising slightly on their fielding. Um, My my view of it generally is that most of the time the differences between players are made up in their batting and their bowling. Often, it's very rare you're faced with a decision where, where they're so close that fielding makes a difference. Occasionally, it does. And I think there are some fielders who are so brilliant that it's worth considering. And off the top of my head, the likes of Jadeja, uh, the likes of George, Chris Jordan is one of the very best by all measures. Um, Hardik Pandya is another superb fielder. Uh, Steve Smith, as well, is, is a fantastic fielder. David Warner, Johnny Bairstow. These guys who are, are, are amongst the world's best. They're, for them, I think fielding can be a decisive factor um, when, when discussing you know, between two players. But most of the time, I think the level of fielding is a lot more. You know, most fielders are very closely bunched together, I think. Uh, as Mood said earlier, made the excellent point that I think the floor has been raised. And as a result, everyone now has a sort of basic level of fielding. There are a few who may be slipped by the wayside. Off the top of my head, someone like Yuzvendra Chahal is still quite a weak fielder, Sunil Narain, Chris Gale, and that's partly because of age. But these guys who are, they are liabilities in the field and you've got to try and hide them. But most players have a base level of fielding now. And for me, it's rare that fielding will be a decisive factor. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's a one percenter and batting and bowling remain the fundamental and most important aspects when considering quality. Um, And particularly, and this is something we might go on to, in T20 cricket, you can hide one or two weaker fielders. Uh, You need to have good boundary riders and and a number of good fielders. But the ability to hide one or two fielders means, for example, Sun on Orion, I just brought him up and Chris Gale. I would never ever not sign them because they're fielding. And I think I'd, I'd like to think you'd both agree with me, given how good they are at their primary skill of batting and bowling. It's always an added bonus and never more for me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting um, topic, this. And just to clarify my point that uh, that, that I'd made uh, earlier on when we first started these podcasts, um, I was referring to the, the decision over player A against player B, if they're very similar with their bowling skill or their batting skill, the obvious tipping balance would be, one character and two capability in the field and character you can put in the character is is leadership their their capability to to be a leader and I'm not talking about being a captain but just a, a, a person that I'm going to use this word again that brings an attitude to the playing group which is part of leadership so he, he, he gives your your team environment, some richness um, so there's there's no way that I wouldn't be picking Sun on the Rhine because he's not you know in the same ballpark as some of the best fielders in the world because the Rhine's ability with the ball and the bat are, are just clearly are standout skills uh, and and match winning skills so you accommodate that the Chennai Super Kings uh, situation is a very interesting one and again I'm going to use the the word that I have been using throughout this podcast, in that, yes, they had an old team, but with age came wisdom and with age came pride and with age came sort of an attitude of professionalism. And again, you know, a Shane Watson, may not move like a Shane Watson 10 years ago but Shane Watson at Chennai Super King has a huge amount of pride and brought attitude to the field he wasn't a liability by dragging everyone else down uh, Imran Tahir a Chennai Super King spinner he may not be you know the fastest that, that he that he has been in his career and the most skillful in the in the um, in the in the field but, he brought an amazing attitude and energy and enthusiasm to the group, and that that to me is the most important point. Is that they brought their, their skills of their experience and their and their ability with bat and ball outweighed their ability to field like some of the best fielding sides. But they never dropped the ball when it came to and I'm not meaning physically dropped the ball. I meant you know their attitude never dropped. Their attitude was consistent throughout. And that comes from the general. And the general is Donny behind the stumps. You know, so every one of those individuals in that Chennai Super Kings team would be bringing 100% to the table. Just just, just one, one other
2: point as well around them. Um, and we spoke about it earlier with test cricket and catching being particularly important. Even in as the formats do get shorter, uh, ground fielding, I think, becomes more important. But catching remains particularly important in all formats, the ability to take those catches matters. And whilst Chennai were older and slightly slower across the ground, there was a great quote from Dhoni before the playoff in 2018 when they uh, won it, um, when he said, I know my fielders are never going to save me one or two or three runs in ground fielding, but if they take their catches, I'm happy. Now, that Mm -hmm. is the thing there from, you know, he was essentially, you know, acknowledging their moods. What you're saying is these guys are not the most athletic. They're very good at their respective batting and bowling skills, but if they take their catches, that's what matters to me because that's where I feel like, uh, or, or and he's right, right in saying so. That they're the events that really influence the scorecard. Um, the, the 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 marginal gains, the small ones or twos here or there, are, are, are saved with ground fielding, and I think that Chennai side, um, and Fleming and Donny backed their batting and their bowling, their primary skills, to make up the difference. Um, that they that, that may be lost from occasion. Examples of, of sides who have, um, or where Fielding has made a difference, I suppose, and it is one of the things you touched on. And one, one side that springs to mind in recent times, at least, or it's, Fielding has seemed to make a difference or has certainly improved, um, was, was Pakistan. After the 2016 World T20, they obviously went on a, on a very good run. They won 29 of 33 matches between the end of the 2016 World Cup and 2018, and they were unfortunate that there wasn't a World Cup in that period. Now, Pakistan's fielding was excellent in that period of time. Mickey Arthur was the head coach, placed a lot of emphasis on fitness and on fielding. Um, and they, they rose to the top of the world rankings, and historically Pakistan have been certainly one of the weaker fielding sides, <coughs> I think it's fair to say. Um, but during that period, they were excellent. Uh, and I guess it comes back to the question of whether were they a good fielding side because they were playing good cricket or were they playing good cricket because they're a good fielding side? And, you know, it's a bit of chicken and egg there yeah. um, because I think sometimes it can be, you know, the team starts to, you know, if you're a good bowling side and you're giving catching opportunities, it's more likely you're going to take catches and, and therefore, um, you know, you the, the sort of influence of fielding feels greater perhaps. So it is hard. And I think it goes back to what Mood said about, you know, it being an attitude and, and it is hard to identify whether the, the fielding improvement comes first or the, the good cricket influences them or makes them look mm. like they're fielding better. That's a very difficult one to sort of quite wow. navigate your way around, but fielding Excellent. was definitely, was definitely a good thing uh, or definitely a thing that clearly improved during that era. Um, and, and one of the reasons for that, I think, uh, Moods, you'll, you'll have known this having coached there, is the PSL and we've seen a similar thing happen in the IPL um, too, and Moods, maybe explain how you think that the PSL
1: was, was key in that? Oh, there's, there's no question that the PSL's had a magnificent influence on a number of aspects of the game for Pakistan. Uh, we've seen a lot of a discovery of talent for one, but with regards to Fielding, what's happened is you've had suddenly the spotlight put on it because you've got a tournament that's 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 seen outside of Pakistan where players are suddenly exposed if they are not up to the standard that is expected for a franchise tournament. So the influences there have been not only the senior Pakistan players but more importantly, I think the influence has been is the overseas players that come in and, and have brought a, a level of professionalism, a level of skill and a level of attitude that a lot of Pakistan cricketers would have never have seen before, along with overseas coaches that also have the same sort of standards of expectations that they've never seen before. So suddenly there's nowhere to hide. It's not a case of oh. We're just a poor fielding side. But, wow, we've got a great bowling attack and we've got some really good batsmen. That's now now gone by the wayside with Pakistan cricket. We've seen historically Pakistan lose a lot of games because of their lacklustre approach in the field. We see a very different Pakistan side now. And I think that is mainly to do with that PSL and the exposure that they've had. Just another important point as well. I think
2: um, Moose is something we spoke about before we, we came on air today. Um, I think fielding and the importance of it has it um, is partly also related to the style of play and also the venues you're playing at. So hmm. um, in Pakistan's instance in that period of time, they were a side who liked to restrict teams to small totals or middling totals and chase them down. They were sort of bowling heavy. The games were quite low scoring. And in those games... The margins are finer. And I think the influence of fielding can be felt more greatly as the games become more high scoring. The chance for fielding to influence it becomes slightly less so. And actually, it's, you know, that's more when you know batting and the ability to just clear the ropes. You know, Chris Gale, for example, his weak fielding becomes less of a problem because we know that he can, you know, he can hit six or seven sixes in a game and propel side to chase two hundred. Um, so the 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 style of game uh, is important, and also the venue. Pakistan were playing quite a lot of their games in the UAE um, on big outfields, and that's where again speed across the ground uh, and, and sort of getting to those balls and turning twos into ones uh, becomes particularly important. And it's actually something that with that Chennai side we spoke about the style of cricket they played, again, was not dissimilar to that Pakistan team in that it was quite low scoring, quite scrappy. And then their home venue at Chepok had a, a slow pitch. So, that, you know, the, the pace on the ball was never that much. You know, the ball was never sort of skidding and pinging off the outfield. The, the, those older players were able to make up the ground because, the you know, the nature of cricket, I think, was just slower. Um, and so home venue is important. Moods I don't know with, you know, Sunrisers, you've had um, Bairstow and Warner tracking around those, quite large square boundaries at times. I imagine that's something that gives you an extra value over maybe on a, on a slightly smaller venue or on a slower outfield, for example.
1: Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good point you make. And, and the simple fact is, is that your fielding style changes from venue to venue according to the size of the, of the ground, the dimensions of the ground and also the way the pitch plays. So the, the point you made about the Chennai Super Kings, yes, on a slow-turning wicket, it's very hard for a batting side to be able to put the field under pressure because you're finding it very difficult to get off strike because you're not being able to get any pace on the ball. So to be able to split, you know, the cover fielder and the point fielder or get it past extra cover or mid-wicket is 10 times harder than it is on a on a, a good batting surface where you can just pick the ball off wherever you like. So the, the other the other component to it is that you may position your key fielders in different fielding positions according to those venues and according to the, the pitch because the hotspot is not always the hotspot uh, where the high traffic goes. And you, there's no point having your key fielders in hotspots on, on certain surfaces where the ball is... It's, it's very difficult for the batsman to find the boundary, or hit the ball out there. You're much better off having them in those strategic Positions And that's where people like Freddie and and your fielding coach are really important, because when you go to a new venue, they're the things that they'll highlight and say, look, you know, look, it's incredible the amount of runs that are scored through here and the amount of twos that are scored in this corridor. We've got to move player B, who's our fastest outfielder, to that position really early, because if we can shut down their twos there, we're going to put them under a lot of pressure and they're not used to, you know, they're, they're so used to finding those easy twos to accumulate those runs in the middle of the innings. So if we can affect change there, it has a significant influence on their mindset and therefore just tilts the balance slightly towards you.
0: I think a good example of that, and, and it's just one example, and I can't remember the specifics of it, Muta. I, I'm, I'm hoping that you remember. Up at Sabina Park one year in the CPL, Chiron Pollard was feeling at long on for one batter. And as soon as the other batter came on, he moved over to a deep mid wicket position specifically and within the space of an over and a half or two overs took the catch in that hot spot. And it's transformed captaincy as well because yeah. so often we talked about captaincy being the man at slip or the man at cover, the captain that is. Now, if you're a Dwayne Bravo or a Pollard or a David Warner, as you alluded to, you're one of the best feelers in the team, a Darren Sammy. So you're now posting yourself if that hotspot is at long on or long off. You're not close to the bowler. So it's transformed the way communication goes between captain and player. Um, well, I mean,
2: this is amazing that you, Mood was talking about venues. And Bish, you're you actually talking about Pollard moving for a specific batsman. So, you know, it can, it can become so specific. There are certain players who will, you know, even just a conventional say, a, you know, a slog shot. One batsman will drag it slightly more square normally than another player who hits slightly straighter. Pollard, for example, actually someone that comes to mind who's a very straight, powerful hitter. Someone else might drag it. And just knowing those subtle differences and moving your player um, slightly to the right and left, again, is a combination of work with the analyst, the fielding coach, the head coach and the captain and the bowlers. These kind of details are so important. Um, and, yeah, it's where I suppose you know, fine, fine strategizing and, and, and tact, tactical play can make such a difference, um, particularly in T20 when the margins are fine. Um, so we're talking about fielding here, but I also I think it ties very closely into to analytics and to strategy and pre-match planning. It's all very linked in a, a, as one broad. Essentially, how well prepared are you for this particular venue and this particular batsman?
0: I, I want to end. Uh, I'm not sure if we've covered everything. I want to end on, on on two points quite briefly, um, and I apologise to to Moods first up in terms of ground fielding in Test matches because my mind goes back to Headingley and the Ashes and Nathan Lyon failing to guard with <laughs> the ball and the whole series turning and the Ashes almost slipping through your fingers. Go ahead. That's 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 that's, that's 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 pressure. I, I, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to be mean. Yeah,
1: but, but that, no, not mean, not mean. But that that's just pressure. That's not that's not lack of fielding skill. Nathan Lyon is a, an exceptional fielder. He fields in the covers. Uh, he's got good leg speed. He's got good hands. He's got a good arm. That's just pressure uh, of the moment that really created the error. But
2: for me that's... Yeah, Fascinating point because that it, 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 I think fielding comes back as well in terms of how we look at the game, how we analyse the game to narrative. So Lyon did drop that run out and we remember that and it sticks in our head. Bad fielding mistakes particularly stick in our head. But Nathan Lyon also had Ben Stokes trapped LBW and they'd used their review. So that also, you know, we can't just look back and say, oh, well, it was the fielding that cost them the game. Australia had one wicket to take and 90 wickets to defend. Fielding wasn't the difference there. They should There's have won by error.
0: Any other reasons?
2: <laughs> it
1: was an error. Come on,
0: come on. Can't you can't you just focus on controlling the controllables? Yeah, yeah. And no, I'm with you. the, I'm the you can control your own feeling. Yeah.
2: You can. Yeah, and, and, I'm, not, and I'm not saying that the feeling is insignificant, but ah. it often it often I think, mm. particularly among in the media. Um, it becomes an easy finger to point, uh, an, easy, an easy thing to blame um, because it's memorable. In particular, I remember an earlier game in that World Cup, England played Pakistan in a very high scoring game at Trent Bridge, and Jason Roy dropped an absolute sitter. And Mohamed Hafiz went on to score, it was Hafiz who he dropped, and he went on to score quite some quite important runs. And at the end of the game, um, fielding was sort of uh, was singled out as the only reason England lost that game. Had they fielded well, they would have won that game. And actually, there are plenty of instances in the match. That where, where they batted poorly or that they, they bowled poorly that were also relevant. And it was entirely pinned on the fielding. And it's not me saying it's not important. I think it's, I should stress that. But it's often used, and Moods, I'd like to pose this to you, I think quite often is used as a, in the media, it's an easy target. And for coaches and captains, I think it's a sort of way of distracting or deflecting blame off the batting and the bowling. No one is picked for their fielding. And Moods ask you whether either consciously or subconsciously you ever maybe point the finger of blame at your fielding when you know actually maybe you could have batted and bowled better simply to take the heat off your own players so that fielding is blamed as a sort of collective thing rather than maybe singling out a player who then becomes under more pressure for the next game because you've blamed him for the loss.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very good point. And I think there's certain circumstances that subconsciously a captain or a coach may just sort of naturally steer towards the collective blame, which is your, your fielding unit. It was sloppy. We missed a few chances. We should have closed the game off earlier and it just got away from us. But as you say, there was a number of events with the bat and the, with the ball that were unacceptable as well. But when you, when you highlight things with the bat and the ball, it's very easy for the media to narrow that down to the individuals. And from a captain's point of view and a coach's point of view, you... Basically, want to make sure that you're protecting your players um, as much as possible. And those conversations are better played out privately in a dressing room or over a coffee the next morning against in the media in a press conference. The last thing you want is a player in mid-tournament reading the paper and hearing the criticism from the captain, the coach, that it was a reckless bowling performance or a batting performance. Uh, because that, that that does jolt confidence. And what you're doing and wanting to do is preserve confidence from an individual perspective, but also collectively. It's important that that group remains very confident on the surface against, on, a, a, on an individual point of view, you can have those private conversations to, just to make sure that you're looking after
0: that player. Sunil Orion has gotten better as a fielder. Um, we used to bemoan the fact that he was such a poor fielder in the early days. He's definitely worked and gotten better on that. Chris Gale, there's nothing you can do about a 30-year-old body that looked as though it was 45. So there are physical limitations there. So our listeners will be tuning in and they'll be saying, Tom, uh, Freddie, how can I improve as a fielder? How can Ian Bishop, at six foot five and a half inches long limbs what can I do to be because it's the one area of the game that you can almost do on your own you can throw a ball into the air you can catch you can throw at a stump you don't need anyone else so really what i be fair in saying we can have no excuse to be a poor fielder knowing what we know in the modern game and and what sort of data can I aim for? So that that, it's a two-part question that I want to end on. What to do, how to improve and what is the data saying and what I should aim for?
1: Well, I think looking from an improvement point of view, you need to ask the question of yourself, are you in the best physical condition that you can be in? And if you say yes to that, okay, that's part of your improvement. Secondly, are you concentrating on practising the skills that are relevant to you as a fielder? So making sure that where you tend to occupy uh, positions in the field, whether that be in test cricket, first-class cricket, or whether that be in white ball cricket, you're training specifically for that because that is more relevant. There's no point wasting time in other areas. And finally, I think the most important thing is is the attitude, are you, are you switched on and focusing and wanting to have an impact every single ball? And if you're doing those three things, I think that's you, all you could ask of yourself, that's all a team could ask of you, that's all a coaching staff and a support, and supporters could ask of you.
0: Uh, uh, Tie this in, Freddie, for me, in, into your answer now. And I know Professor Wilde has been at work, I saw you pick up your pen and I saw you scratch your chin tie this in for me, Moody's point that with Nathan Lyon, it, for example, not picking on him, it was partly a uh, temperamental mishap. How much of that can you work into preparation of your fielders um, in order to, to, to have the good ones?
2: Well, a couple of things. Firstly, in terms of the data and, and, and what areas of fielding should you work on um, as a player? I think most importantly, uh, it, well, catching is just number one and runouts are number two, because things that affect wickets are most valuable from a statistical standpoint. They're the, they're the events that really change a game. Um, ground fielding it stops here and there are useful, but you can hide fielders to a degree in t Twenty um and i think you can therefore if you are slightly weaker as a ground footer you can tuck someone away for me catching and run um
0: therefore come first thank you very much tom thank you very much freddie and, and to our young listeners that uh, there are too many experiences out there i'm gonna say that we need to raise the bar on the significance of feeling um in all forms of the game because it's One of the areas that really stand out, excellent catches, diving stops, magnificent runouts. So that's another thing to aim for. I think we, that was very exciting, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Tom, again. Thank you very much, Freddie. And Freddie, we can listen to this podcast and find it and rate it where?
2: Uh, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Pocket Casts, all the the normal platforms. Um, And please do uh, listen. And if you enjoy the show, give us a a kind review and a five-star rating. That would be very nice
0: final word is always yours freddie thank you very much thanks for listening